you feel it, you know it. D. Raw Productions. What's up, people? It's your boy, D-Raw, bringing you another episode of The Houston Sports Connoisseurs. Uh, once again, I got my boy Charles on here with me again, my, my favorite co-host. You know what I'm saying? We going to be talking about some old, good old college football today. Charles, what you got to say, man? Man, I mean, you know, this is kind of like my second home. I love college football. You know, I'm from that old school that believes that uh, some of these college games be a whole lot more exciting to watch than the NFL itself. But, you know, uh, college is what it is. NFL is what it is. And I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, I would say uh, I love college a lot more than NFL because it's, it's just pure football. Yeah, uh, yeah. None of the politics really involved like the NFL. Yeah. You know, and just the pride, like other schools and the fans like everybody's yeah. just so much more invested in the game the whole atmosphere yeah, yeah it's just it's just it's, it's just it's exciting yeah but uh the one thing that's not exciting about college football is it's hard to really sustain success sometime or uh the success that a school really uh requires you to have over a period of time and that people I'm talking about Jimbo Fisher you know <laughs> <laughs> He got fired. <laughs> he got fired, man. And yeah, man. A&M wasn't having the season that the school or A&M wants him to have, you know. But hey, honestly, I would say he he got his Super Bowl anyway. Yeah. My, my boy yeah. got a seventy-six million dollar buyout. Wow. If you ain't know, wow, I Who, did not know that. So you got fired, you know what I'm saying? After coaching at A&M for what six years? Yeah, and. I get $76 million for being fired? Yeah. Fire me today. <laughs> Matter of fact, you can fire me off this podcast right now. Guess what? Give me $76 million and I'll show you how to get over a little bit of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> so just looking at what he did, you know, uh, at A&M, he had 46 wins, 25 losses. He was above 500. He had, what, a 648 percentage in winning. Uh, so far in that season, they was going seven and four under him. Yeah, you know, um, they fired him after a game where he blew out Mississippi State. Yeah, so Jimbo was forty six and twenty five at A and M. That's a point six four eight. You know. You look at the six seasons he was there. They won nine games, eight games, nine games, eight again. Then they went five and seven. And so far in 2023, they was, what, seven and four. Seven and and four. they fired him after he blew out Mississippi State. Who gets fired after a game actually won by a huge margin? It's ridiculous. Craig, off Friday. He got fired on his day off. <laughs> See you later, Jimbo. <laughs> so, you know, we, we look at that and it's like – Really, what what is AM looking for? And I'm gonna be honest. Like to me, I said this about um, Notre Dame, but I feel like A and M and Notre Dame is like two schools that are similar with the performances that they, that they provide as of late. They mediocre at best, you know what I'm saying? But they good mediocre shit. 
You know, <laughs> but overall, bro, I don't expect neither one of them schools to ever win it all. Like, that's just not the school that, that's going to get all the players. Now, given the nostalgia that comes around a school like Notre Dame, uh, I thought by now, you know, that they would have had it figured out and gotten back to some championship footballs because there have been championships that flowed through Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that hasn't happened. But I actually thought that uh, for Texas A&M, hiring a guy like Jimbo Fisher kind of, you know, put them, catapulted them into that realm of, uh-oh, uh-oh, yeah. we're probably going to see, you know, a, a championship flow up through uh, College Station. But it just hasn't happened. But irregardless to whatever the particulars are about what went on with Jumbo Fisher that made them say to him, hey, here's take this $76 million and you get your little bicycle <laughs> and you pedal down to Galveston. I don't understand that. I mean, right here in Houston, we continue to employ a man. That is continuously I mean, just a show oh us a God. track record of disaster. You know, but... Before we even talk about Dana Hogerson, let's talk about the former coach that AM had in Kevin Sumlin. Because it seemed like it's the employer that's the problem. You know, we look at what Kevin Sumlin did at AM. He won 11 games. He won nine games, eight games, eight games, eight games, yeah. seven games. Um, I'm not saying that you should love or fall in love with mediocre football, but they bowling every year. They go into a bowl game. No, nah, they might not be getting into the college football playoff, but it's so, so much worse out there than what Jimbo Fisher has done, than what Kevin Sumlin has done at AM. Because when we talk about a guy that has a bad track record and he has a nice size buyout himself, which is like, now ain't nothing in comparison to uh, Jimbo Fisher's 76 million. But. million for a buyout for a coach is still ridiculous. It still would land him close to the top five in buyouts for coaches ever. So, looking, and I want to look at the whole track record of what Dana Hogerson did before he even got to Houston when he was at West Virginia. And I could see just from looking at this why so many West Virginia fans really wanted this guy gone. And they was happy that Houston even poached him from West Virginia. <laughs> you know? So, but 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 I, can I just say one thing before you go there? Yeah. If you look at it, Texas A&M got rid of uh, Sumlin, and his winning percentage was a .662 at the time when he was let go. Mm-hmm. Jimbo Fisher was at a .648. So if they let someone go at a .662, is it safe to say that Jimbo probably kind of saw this coming? Possibly. I mean, I guess the, the, the real question is, what was the, the full expectations? Like, how many games did they say this guy needs to win in a year? It must have been 10 or more. It had to be. I think I think the expectation at that point is, like you said, if you look, if you look at the, the games and, and where the team was with Sumlin, when you go out and hire a name like Jimbo Fisher – you're expecting to go way further than where you were with Sumlin. Because if not, I can just keep Sumlin. Right. And in looking at their numbers and their seasons and things like that, I don't see that big of a gap to associate with saying, hey, we have Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Productivity rules the nation. 
Period. So, yeah. Um, you know, the one knock I do have on Jimbo, you actually made me think about it, is I believe in 2022, Jimbo Fisher had the number one recruiting class in the nation. And they went five and seven. That was a losing season. Absolutely. You know, and when you look at that, that's that's pretty disappointing. And I could see A&M saying, hey, we're going to give you another year to get your players ready, to get them fitted for the scheme, you know, mm-hmm. to get them worked out. And mm-hmm. however you want them to play, yep. we're going to give you another year. Mm-hmm. And you come out the next year, and so far we went seven and four with y'all. Uh, your quarterback looked questionable. You don't. You really don't have nothing dominant on the offense to really be proud of, to really finish games, and you seven and four. You beat a low, a low uh, bottom feeding Mississippi State, and this is really all you got to uh, put next to your resume, you know. So when you look at it that way, they they haven't beat Alabama since he's been there. You know that's one of the schools you nope. want to say, hey, we want to beat Bama, and they haven't done it in six years. Yeah, he has a positive record, but. Like you said, it's not really no difference between the last coach they fired. Mm-hmm. And they they paid Jimbo all that money to really take them to the next level. And, and he didn't go there. Yeah, he didn't go there. So the question is, it's like, where are they going to find this next coach that's really going to help, you know, push this program to cloud nine, bro? Because I really don't know who can do it. I do. Oh, really, and this dude? this is going to sound like a shocker <laughs> to you. But uh, this name is uh, known in some circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimbo, since he's leaving, taking $76 million with him. Let me just go on the record and, and put this out there. If anybody that's listening knows anyone over at the Texas A&M uh, Athletic Department, let them know that I am ready and willing and available. <laughs> I will take far less than $76 million, and I am willing to put my credentials on the line and say, listen, sign me to a $10 million contract. And if after one year you don't see the positive turnaround, I'll, you don't have to fire me. I'll leave. <laughs> and look, while you're at it, you can go ahead and hire me to be on the uh, staff. I, I'll be the DC. I'll take a fourth of the money that you asking, <laughs> So hey, we can do it together. Hey, it, like we say, if y'all out there, y'all listening, y'all just got two resumes submitted. Uh, folks, this is not a hoax. We will turn that football program in a whole nother direction. Do you hear what I said? You heard it here first. <laughs> man, well, talk about uh, Dana Hogerson again. Uh, like I said, man, this guy, he he hasn't proven that he's a true winner, you know, through 13 years of his coaching career. Um, he's had some success, but nothing really to just – Right home to mom and, and really talk about like mom I really did it I made I, I won the big one, you know. Uh, back in w- West Virginia he started in 2011 he had 10 wins then he went to seven four seven eight ten in 2016 it took him five years to get back to 10 wins and then 17 seven eight four three in 2021 in Houston he finally got the 12 wins where they went 12 and two. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that season as well. But then the following year, they went 8-5. and five, And now we're sitting at 4-7. and seven, And we're very highly disappointed. Um, before I talk about what's going on this season with Dana Hogerson, I want to talk about that 12-2 and two season. Because that 12-2 and two season is the season where the Houston Board of Regents messed up and gave him an extension. And I say that because... 
if you people if you go and do your homework and you look at some of the the schools that Houston played that year, yeah, they went twelve and two, but the opponents that they had was lowly ranked opponents, opponents that had negative records, opponents that had losing records, and those are schools that of course Houston should have beat, but the two losses that they have out of that twelve and two record was against the team that actually were good that year. Yep. Yep. And <clears throat> when you look at that, it just goes to show that, yeah, okay, he had a good season. But was I really gonna give him an extension after uh he went four and eight, three and five, and then he finally turned around to get twelve and two, and I'm just gonna open my paycheck book and sign him away? Hell to the no I'm not. And then when we went to the Birmingham bowl, we beat a, a bottom feeder Auburn team at the time. They was only like six and six. There's no way I'm giving that boy that money. I need to go see him prove it again. And at this point, I can easily say he has yet to prove it again. He has yet to prove it again. Eight and five in 2022. Uh, Yeah, they won another bowl game. But it was a Louisiana Tech or a Raging Cajun somebody. It was somebody that was not really, you know, promising anything to say that I'm going to give them that kind of money. You know, four and seven, though, man, you look at that. Charles, what you got to say? I'm really not going to say a whole lot on this one because, to be honest with you, uh, this guy right here is not one of my more favorite people in the world. Uh, I kind of heard him do an interview, and I walked away from that interview having a very low opinion of this guy. Uh, Some of the comments he was making, the way he said things – Uh, It just didn't impress me as someone who was occupying a head coaching position on the collegiate level. Uh, He threw players under the bus. He threw his staff under the bus. And he tried to come back in a humble way and try to say, yeah, I know everything ultimately falls on me. The responsibility of it all ultimately falls on me. But then that butt that came right after that was so quick. I don't even think Superman could change into his super <laughs> outfit as fast as he said this butt. And then he just went on a tirade of basically saying it's everybody else's fault but his. And then you sit in a conference where you are two and six. And then overall, like you you said, he's two, I mean, four and seven. <clears throat> There's no way. But you're firing Jimbo Fisher. They're showing him to the door. They wouldn't even give him the keys to the car. They just said, look, get out. How you get where you're going is on you. But this gentleman, Tillman Fertitta, comes out publicly and says, uh, he's got my vote of confidence. How? Why? Why? Like, bro. Nothing is justifying him being here outside of maybe they've got some kind of backroom friendship that I don't know about or something somewhere. Maybe they were college buddies. I I really don't know. But there's no justification for this. This man is batting uh, 534 in five years. Yeah. And these bowl games that they're going to, I mean, I've said enough already. I mean, like I said, I I don't wish anything bad on anybody because I don't want to – bring anything bad on myself but to me this guy is the epitome of what not to do as a head coach on the collegiate level i mean he he, he's the coach that you should fire i mean like 
I don't I don't want to put his job out there, but man, like like we said, four and eight, three and five, twelve and two, eight and five, and four and seven again. Um, just at Houston, to me that says that he's not very good at his job, you know. And this is a guy that continues to find excuses every time I see him on a post game or uh, when they do his little weekly interview. He's always finding excuses. It don't matter if it's about the players, about the facilities. Whatever the case may be, you knew years ago, like at least two years ago, that you was going to the Big 12. You coached in the Big 12 prior to coming to Houston. So you knew what kind of talent you needed on a roster, what kind of size you needed, what kind of speed, whatever the case may be. You knew what you needed on that staff to be ready to be able to compete in the Big 12. And then I look at some of the losses we have, like Rice, uh, Cincinnati, you know, those teams we should have beat. We, If anything, we should be bowl eligible at this point in the season, you know. Um, and I just don't think that Hogerson really has the ability to really coach us to get us there, you know, especially when you keep using the same excuses to, you know, uh, be passive over the, the situation that you're providing, you know. I know that um, Houston is building this $150 million uh, football-only uh, headquarters and things like that, but you can't use that as an excuse. Oh, once we get the uh, 2025 headquarters here and all that, you know, things are going to get a whole lot better around here. Uh, Kevin Sumner didn't use that excuse. Tom Herman didn't use that excuse. You know what I'm saying? They were still recruiting top recruits around the nation. You're in Houston, bro. This is the top recruiting bed of the, the country. You know, you can't beat nothing in Houston. Everything is here. Size, speed, uh, talent, um, schematically just being smart to figure things out, quarterbacks, running backs, linebackers, DBs, you got it all right here in your backyard. And you right in the middle, in the heart of the city, where the boys are mostly hungry in Third Ward. Shout out Third Ward, Texas. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying about this dude. It's, it, it's like he's just not a good fit. And then when you think about today's generation of uh, football player. The mindset to me that he coaches from stems from that athlete who came or stumbled across the, the game of football because they didn't have like a father figure. Mm -hmm. Someone to, you know, kind of guide them from a male's perspective. And they got with the football team and that coach became that for that person and they got bought in that way. But today's athlete is not looking for that. Yeah, they've got the internet for that. Okay, <laughs> they don't need Dana Holgerson going out telling them that you play dumb ball, so you're a dumbbell and <laughs> you need to fix it. That's not gonna work. That's lack of motivation. And uh, like you said, it's been reflective in some of the games that we've seen this year. Uh, he actually had players give up on him during the course of games. It's recognizable. You know, this is not something we're making up, people. This is actually on footage. There is no desire to go out and, and take pride in making a tackle anymore. They're just like, oh, this one's over. Let me just let this guy run by him. I'll run by and make it look like I was in the area, but I'm not going to break my uh, neck to try to make this tackle. I'm not going to pull my hamstring. I'm not going to give him my all for this guy because clearly all he's thinking about is himself, and it shows through his team's play on the field. Mm -hmm. So, again, we talked about the Jimbo, and we talked about Kevin Summerlin. 
But now, in all fairness to this guy, I just can't see why he's still coaching on the collegiate level at the University of Houston. Maybe he's a better fit somewhere else, but just not here. Not in Houston. Not at all. Uh, and honestly, he's he's lost my respect because, like, all the things that I've heard from him. And just the last thing I'm going to say about Dana Hogerson. When he, when he went on the air and he said that the 2024 recruiting class ship had sailed, I was done. Because yeah. that right there goes to show that we're going to lose these senior players that we have right now that's mm-hmm. mostly starters, and we're going to bring in a new uh, pack of players, you know, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be ready. But then you don't even have anything to follow that up with, mm-hmm. uh, looking at that we joined the Big 12. So you ask me, we're going to be in the same boat next year. Yeah, and you you in the Big 12 now, and you're sending that message right there to the players that are going to be seniors. Uh, can someone say that that portal is going to be lit up? <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Man, they just they just waiting until uh, that last game of the season. As soon, soon as the yeah. fourth quarter end, oh, yeah, yeah, let me go ahead and uh, hop in this yeah, transfer yeah, portal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to tell you this, man. If I was Matthew Golden – I take my six figures and move on to a SEC school because I know you are a thousand per, uh, thousand percent committed, like you said, Matthew. But let's be honest, bro. Six figures going somewhere in the SEC where you might actually have a chance to not only win, but to also be televised a little bit more and get a little bit more shine. Go make your money, bro. Go do it while you're healthy, while you can do it, and take that opportunity because I'm going to tell you one thing. As long as Dana Hogerson is your head coach, hmm. those opportunities are out the door, my boy. You know, Golden, I'm going to just say this to you if I could. If I could pull him to the side and just kind of bend his ear a little bit and put a little bug in it, I would just simply say this. Love the morals, love the values of being loyal. Loyalty is something that's hard to find these days. If, matter of fact, loyalty has been hard to find Hardly throughout the course of history. So I get it. You want to be loyal. You want to stick to your commitments. You want to honor them. But at the same time, if in this situation he chose to go somewhere else, I I could totally be at peace with it and and, and understand it. Mm. When it's almost, and I know we're talking college football, but I'm going to make this comparison anyway. It's almost when the Houston Texans were being tanked by Bill O'Brien and um, Lovey Smith. If any of those players wanted to leave that team because they saw where the, the leadership was driving the team, that's totally different because I, for one, know for a fact that Golden did not sign up for that. Did he not. came there. He thought that he was going to be a part of a program that was dedicated and committed to winning. And to me, Dana Hogerson has not – embodied that and as a player who has a family to potentially take care of after this collegiate uh, career plays out if you want to go somewhere they're going to pay you more money you're going to get an even stronger opportunity to take care of your family goals and fulfill your football dreams then yeah it's okay walk out that door and don't look back twice you know let them know that This is not about my loyalty. This is about what makes sense. Just like it makes sense that Dana 
Holgerson is no longer the coach of the Mighty Cougars. I'm done, people. <laughs> uh, well, look, the one last thing I want to really touch on with college football, I want to talk about our boy Primetime Sanders, you know. Hey. Uh, he, he came into the season, he said, you know, he said a lot of things. He, he, he was real, real, real uh, loud when he was saying the things. But now, you know, we, we look at this season, boy, how the tables have turned. You know, they start off with 3-0. and They beat TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State. Then, man, when they, they hit Oregon, boy, did that door just slam right in his face. <sighs> you know, Oregon, yeah, USC. Yeah, they had a chance against USC, but yeah, slammed that door shut. Beat Arizona State. Lost to Stanford. Lost to UCLA. Lost to Oregon State. Arizona. Washington State. And now they have number 22, Utah, up next. And I'm pretty sure they're going to lose that one, too, at this point. But um, I'm going to say this. I think Dion is a, a damn good coach. But the one thing that I think he really started to figure out is that he needs to be humble in this sport of college football. On this level of college football, he has to be real humble because he has to realize yeah, he might better get some of these players in NIL. You know, deals might help out too. And it's going to be a lot of people that's going to want to play for him because he's prime. But you got to be humble, and you really got to coach these boys up, man. Like, you you look at this record, I didn't see it coming, to be honest. But I also didn't expect Dion to just go out there and be so loud and uh, not humble, you know, to the game. I, I thought they would be bowl eligible, but right now he's looking like Dana Hogerson. And it's hard to say that, but I, I will say this. I think next year and the year after, he will do a whole lot better than Dana because I think Dion is, is a pretty good coach. Um, but it ain't happening this year. Well, i tell you what is happening this year. And out of all the things that you said, uh, there's only one thing that surprised me all year about the Colorado Buffaloes. And that was game one when they beat TCU. That surprised me. Mm -hmm. Now, everything else that he's experiencing right now is of no surprise to me. What it is is Dion had a, a mentality and a philosophy that he was trying to uh, pour into his players. And that was the I believe concept. He, won, he bought sweatshirts, he bought banners, he went in that stadium, he painted walls, and everywhere you went, it said, I believe. Because he knew that what they had, based off of the recruiting that was done prior to him coming there, they had nothing. Right. They had a lower uh, echelon of players there that he had to before they could start playing winning football, he had to get these guys to buy into, mm -hmm. hey, I believe I can play football. That's what Dion had. That, that was the challenge that faced him. So his record right now this year does not surprise me. And I will even go a little bit further than that. I will also say that with four wins uh, this year, what he had to work with, even as prime, that could be considered a miraculous accomplishment. And given the way that they went in there and poured social media platforms into that program, had uh, sellout games for most of the season, mm -hmm. uh, 
It has opened some eyes to some players, like you said, that's going to want to come and play for Coach Prime. So what he did was he was not coming there. I think a lot of people were bought into the concept that Dion thought somehow he was going to come there in season one and win a national championship. Mm -hmm. That's not what it was all about. What Dion came to Colorado to do was remain the coach of his sons and take that football program and try to put it in a position to eventually compete for a national championship, yeah. which if you grade him on that, you got to give him A pluses. He's still the coach of his son, and that program has got some notoriety, and it has top, gotten better. Top, top recruits are going to come in. They've already put out a better winning record than they had last year, and things are only going to get better for him going forward. Mm -hmm. And like I said, they have he have brought in former NFL uh, Hall of Fame players to help mold and guide and teach these uh these 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 collegiate players like Warren Sapp and uh Michael Irvin and uh I like everything that he's doing over there. So, you know, everybody gets caught up in the media's little cat and mouse game that they play with <laughs> Dion where they love to make him a villain. That sometimes I think that just overshadows the body of work that he actually accomplished this year. Yeah. Which was tremendous. Yeah, like you said, you know, Prior to Dion being there, they had won like one game. I think the year before that, like two games. So him winning four games the first year, you know, swapping all those players out for players that really want to be there and buy into his system and to get to where they are right now uh, with four wins. And like, I mean, I said they, they probably lose to Utah, but you never know what team might show up. You know, they might get the five wins, but either way, that none of that really matters because – what he's doing is building this program for the future. Yeah. And I really love to see what this Colorado Buffalo team look like next season because next season is when they really going to be coming. Yeah. And I think next season is where Dion should surpass the four-win mark. I think next season uh, you'll see a better product on the field. But like I said, it had to start somewhere. This was the start. And – to be honest with you, I've seen worse starts. So, hey, mm -hmm. shout out to Dion. Not giving up on you. Just don't turn into Dana Hogan. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to Shador. You know, um, Shador has had a tough season, but he's also had a pretty good season. 3,000 yards, 230 yards passing on 69.3% completion. Uh, each pass is about seven and a half yards uh you know, per game or whatever per pass, um, twenty-seven TDs, three interceptions, and this is the this is the part that really matters. This guy has been sacked fifty-two times, mm -hmm. but fifty-two times, I'm pretty sure he's been pressured. Who knows how many more times, you know? But to only throw three interceptions so far this season, that's amazing. You know, uh, a lot of times I look at the game, but like, oh man, should do it on do good under pressure, but statistically. The stats say he does. He does a damn good job under pressure. You know, and to really see him grow from uh, the HBCU level at Jackson State to jump to this Colorado level and, and play against these Pac-12 teams and other teams out there that's on a high level, and he come out here and have a ratio like that, 27 TDs, three interceptions, sacked 52 times with a, a bad offensive line in front of him like that, Imagine what he'll do with a good offensive line. 
Mm. You know. Yeah, that makes you lick your lips. I know. And but, and mm-hmm. it also just makes you think he's a good decision maker. You know, he's not making no bad decisions. Is he's being smarter? I mean, sometimes he might take bad sacks. It's, it's possible, but he's never putting his team into a real bad position. You know, when it comes to him handling the ball, and I gotta I gotta give my nods to him on that. He's 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 been just that. You know, he's been a an above average game manager uh, throughout the course of the season. But I wonder how much of that uh, confidence comes from – this is the scary part about Shador for me. Mm-hmm. And his own dad comes on television and says it all the time. He's never played for another coach anywhere. Right. <clears throat> so how do we know how he's going to react to that? You know, I've been questioning that too because it it's like he's been baby, you know, babysitted him and him and his brother Shiloh, you know, yeah. being under under their daddy. So the the good question is, how are they going to respond to somebody else coaching technique? Yeah, that's what you I mean. Know? You know, like how how are they going to respond when that changes? And and, and are we going to get that same high level of play? Because we all know that after a certain age, most kids can tell you. Uh, if they're honest, most of them will never admit it. I know how to manipulate my mom. I know how to manipulate my dad. Whereas, if this was a kid that was not Deion Sanders' flesh and blood, on the on the field, making taking certain sacks that that, and I've seen him take sacks that you know you don't coach that. He was coached differently, and he still did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kid going coming off the field to go face the head coach versus to the coach's son coming off the field to go face the head coach after doing something like that. I'm quite sure the consequences kind of differ. You know what I'm saying? But when Shador has to leave from up under daddy's wing and then the, the team is not performing under the, the prime umbrella, when they are having to do well just because of who you are and the system that you guys are in, will the results be different? Will he have the same mental fortitude that he has? Those are questions that linger in my mind. Mm. But uh, I'm going to circle back and say this one last thing about Shador. I do think he's one heck of a quarterback. I do think he has all the tools to be successful at the next level or at any level. But I just want to see how that plays out when daddy's gone. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to say about Dion is, and I, I really hope that he he changes this going into the next season, but I, I want him to make Travis Hunter pick a side of the ball. I, I, I know Travis is a dog, but to me, honest, Travis is a better receiver than corner. I, I didn't see him blow too much coverage, bro. And I feel like if he could just focus on being a receiver or if he just focus on being a corner, he could really be that elite prospect that he was coming out of high school at one of those positions. But as he gets older, going into the NFL, I want him to really pick one. Well, I'm going to say this. To me, that was what was so intriguing. That was one of the more intriguing uh, focal points of this Colorado football program this year was the fact that they did have a two-way player that – didn't come off the field for the majority of the game. And, you know, 
it was hardly ever done. Because like you said, most coaches for years, previous years, and in, in, in all of college have always made the players pick one side of the ball or not. But this is an unprecedented situation that had people intriguing and made people tune in to see the results of it. Mm-hmm. And I would just hate to see that if you start something, see it through. Okay, if it doesn't work with Travis Hunter, then you know not to do that with another player. Yeah. But don't just give up on the Travis Hunter experience just because you were in a losing program and they were going to mm-hmm. suffer tough losses. And it really has no reflection of him. Because to be honest with you, from the way everybody thought about a player being a two-way player for an entire season and not committing to one side of the ball, he should have been hurt a long time ago, knocked out of the game yeah. for whatever reason, besides the reason why he got hurt. The, in the Colorado State game. In, in, yeah, that was that was that's a whole other uh, episode. But he's still there. He's still going strong, and he's playing both sides of the ball. Now, did he have some bad moments at the cornerback position? Yes. Has he had some bad moments at the at, at the wide receiver position? Yes. Same thing can be said for Shadour. Has he had some bad moments at the quarterback position? Yes. Has he had good ones? Yes. That's just the bumps and bruises of football. Not every play that you are a part of is going to be this miraculous, uh, got the fans up in their seats play. <laughs> You know, you're not going to have those prolific plays every play. Yeah. Same thing with C.J. Stroud. Same thing can be said about anybody else. But give him this credit. Does that reduce your chances of making those plays the more that you play? It should. But he's still going out making phenomenal plays he on both sides of the ball. He a baller, and that's why he got that D on his jersey, because he a dog. Because he a dog. And so – I just want you know maybe it's me being personal you know I don't know but you know I'll admit that I want to see how this this two way player all the way through kind of plays out because from my understanding more players are coming out being vocal saying I want to be a two way player too I've always been a two way player too but it has never been allowed yeah not at that level it's usually in high school where you yeah you know, but I'm talking about on this level yeah that's what I'm saying. Or even in the pros. Yeah, they have, have some in the pros. And I guess, I mean, like you said, I guess it would be nice to see him uh, live, you know, see through it and yeah, see, where see, it through, see where it goes. And, and then if it all works out, I, I would really love to see how he do in the pros if he was going both ways. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't do it as much. But to see him make plays on both sides of the ball would be nice. You know, I, I think some of the, the – Players uh, recently that we had that did, I think, like Jabril Peppers, he was like one of the ones uh, most recently that I could think of that played both sides of the ball in college, but not as nowhere near as much as Travis Hunter. Nowhere near. Uh, but Jabril Peppers has been a solid player, and I, I would really love to see what Travis Hunter doing on the NFL level and see if he could do it at a higher level and dominate. But I will agree with you thus far. If I had to choose uh, – which position he has excelled at uh, more so than the other, I, I would go with wide receiver. Yeah. All right. So, um, let's talk about this Houston Cougars uh, basketball team real quick. Um, and then we're just going to turn into some basketball because we got to talk about the Rockets, people. 
So, um, covering the Houston Cougars basketball team, um, so far they're 6-0. and They've been playing through the Charleston Classic or whatever, and they've been playing pretty damn good. The one team uh, I notably want to talk about is Utah. They played a long, lengthy, uh, long, lengthy lanky uh, Utah team, a team that they will be seeing next season a whole lot more than what they are seeing currently. Uh, they beat them 76-66, and although the score might say the game looked a little tough, Houston made it easy. Um, they also played Dayton. The, I think Dayton is a school. Didn't Steph Curry go to Dayton? Uh, I don't know, but I think they got a penitentiary out there somewhere. So, you know, that, that, those are, are pretty good basketball schools that Houston is knocking down. Um, I just want to talk about the schedule, though. You know, uh, we play A&M soon in December, and then we'll play um, TCU and Texas Tech and all those Big 12 schools. And I think this is really going to be a real great season for Houston Cougars basketball moving up to the Big 12 because we already know what Kelvin Sampson is as a coach. He's amazing. And he's been making this program damn good every year. And just to see where this program was at and where it's going into this Big 12, man, I think Houston is really finna be able to really start recruiting those mega star basketball players around the nation. And before you know it, I know we rank like uh, number six or seven right now in the nation. And I think every year we're going to be one or two with Kansas. And honestly, it's going to get to a point where I go to Kansas when I can go to Houston. I mean, we're talking about Houston. People, I wish you could really just see the expression on my face right now and my body language. I mean, I know sometimes, you know, when we're talking about, especially when we're talking about Houston sports teams, whether it's pro professionals or co uh, collegiate, uh, both of us get a little pumped and a little excited. But right, right about now, even I have to admit that uh, my boy D. Raw is, is going a little bit raw on, on all of this. Here. He's this deep end that he's putting us in with these other Because he says, let's look at the schedule. Okay, if we're going to look at the schedule, let's look at it in its totality. <laughs> these six wins that he is about to buff and shine every window in the building about. We're playing University, Lafayette, Monroe, Texas A&M. Corpus Christi, Stetson. Last I checked, that was a cowboy hat, some jeans or something. Tosin. <laughs> like, <laughs> none of these teams are ranked. And he is glowing ecstatically here as he just gloats and goes on and carries on about how we are just the next hottest thing since Kansas. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is hilarious, people. Like, I, I can't believe it. And then here's his. That's the six that we've already won. Let's talk about what we're facing next. And so I guess this is part of the reason why he's so exhilarated right now. We're talking about Montana, Xavier, and Rice. Do I do I need to keep going any further down? <laughs> no, I keep on going. We don't, gets, we don't face tough. a ranked opponent. Until we face Texas A&M on December the 16th. Now, that's going to be on ESPN2 at 1.30. And, and, so, and that game is actually going to be neutral. It's going to be at the Toyota Center. So, we get to pack that thing out. Okay. We can pack that thing out. But we're going to see then <laughs> if, if we really all of this, 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 this overselling that he's doing right now. And then after that game, we go on a – let me see here. 
we're going on almost a 10 game, nine to 10 game stretch where we don't face another ranked opponent. And then we face, at that point, number 19, Texas. And then, oh my God. The one team he was talking about that, that <laughs> if, 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 a, if a college athlete had a chance to choose between the two schools, which program would he decide to go to? We're going to face Kansas after that. And I'd love to be a part of I, yeah, got Girls, people, listen. Do not. Let me see. In February. This is going to be close to the time we're getting ready to do our, our Super Bowl episode. Do not miss this episode. I'm telling you, because it's coming back on him. See, he doesn't realize that this is early in the season. Hey, Things that you talk about now will come back to haunt you. We will be facing <laughs> those Jayhawks. Well, look, I'm going to tell you why I'm so happy. And I want to hear what he says about Kevin Why? Because... Houston football is, is over with. We know we ain't going bowling. Okay. So I'm ready to turn the page, man. And then I'm turning the page to something that's winning. You know, we're 6-0 right now. And I know we in the best college uh, basketball conference in the nation. You know, we got Kansas. We got Texas. We got uh, Texas Tech, Baylor. These are good basketball schools. Yeah, some of them might not be ranked right now, but they was just <laughs> right there. And Houston is right there to take it all. It's all for the taking, baby. Yeah, and it looks like they've been taking it. They've been breaking in people's houses. And, and it's almost like robbing a house that's vacant. And then you want to beat on your chest and act like you really did something. I mean, who takes pride in snatching a bologna sandwich from the homeless? <laughs> who does that? Who does that? Play somebody and then come on air. With that type of exhilaration. But when we played anybody, these are all preseason games as far as I'm concerned. And you know what? They, they, some of these ain't even preseason games. Some of these are all, what, what, did, what was the term they used to use for some of those uh, other games? Exhibition games. I, I, it's like, okay, I'm not going to steal no more of your shine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Look, man, you're going to be the main one that's going to be all hyped up. Uh, I would say come January. When we start entering that Big 12 play, you're going to be all hyped up talking about how Houston is like 13-0. and 0. You're like, yeah, I got to watch that. Like, every, watch. Every time we have a podcast, he's going to be talking about how Houston beat uh, UT, beat Kansas. You know what I'm saying? How dominant we are. Watch. He's going he gonna to hop on the hype train. Just no, watch people. I, I ain't going to say I'm going to hype on the hop train, but I am going to hop on the podcast. And I'm going to be the first <laughs> one to say that we should beat them because look how much practice we've had leading up to those games. <laughs> we, 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 we're talking about practice here, people. That's where all these games have been. Kelvin Sampson, I'll give him kudos to him. He knew how to put a schedule together that allowed him to get his team all tuned up. So by the time that they finally faced somebody, they should have had uh, a pretty good amount of time to kind of gel together as a team. So, yeah, let's see where it goes. We're going to see. Well, let's talk about gelling as a team because uh, the Rockets, they started off good 6-0. and Then they had, what, about a six- or seven-day stretch um, where they didn't play a, a full game until that Friday. Although we played the L.A. Clippers and we lost 106-100, it all came down to a foul with James Harden, the old former Rocket, finally made a play. And I was, I was very impressed, bro. Like, you know, seeing James Harden do it, it was pretty vintage. But honestly, I was really, I was disappointed because Jay Sean Tate 
he made a bad foul. You know, we had this Clippers team. We talking about Paul George, Leonard, Harden, uh, Westbrook, P.J. Tucker. Like, they just stole our whole team, bro. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but we took this team to, to the end. You know what I'm saying? We had them with these young players we got. And um, I was disappointed in the loss. But at the same time, you, you really can't be too disappointed knowing that we got to play them at least two more times this year. And uh, I see that we're improving each time we play. But just with the young players we got going up against these mega stars and Kawhi Leonard, Paul George and stuff, you really you really got to question what how good are the Clippers really? You know, I know I know they have they that was their first win against a team since they got Harden. So um, looking at our team, we just get a little bit more consistent against our opponents. We're gonna be damn good, and uh, by the time I would say April. Not even April, because that's 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 playoff time. But we, I'm gonna say uh, about February, we should have it figured out. You know, like right before the All Star break, we should really have it figured out. We should be consistent. I should see Jalen Green really being consistent enough to give us an average of 18 to 20 points a game. Being able to play some solid defense, um, but man. I think Jalen Green is the, the one player that we're really missing in this cog uh, of, of the team, you know, to really just succeed and excel. Because if he provided what we expected him to provide through our expectations overall, the Rockets would be all right. But, you know, I'm not going to knock Jalen too much because i got to knock Jabari Smith Jr. as well. Because when you provide nine points, bro, one for, one for four on the three-point line, Four for twelve in the field, and you were supposed to be a primary shooter coming out of college. Somebody that they talked about that you was just you was real streaky, can get hot, and I don't see it. And then now it's a lot of times where they take you out of the game because you're not big enough or you can't defend who's in front of you, so you make yourself unplayable. I'm disappointed. And that one thing I can't say about Jalen Green because they ain't never took him out because he couldn't defend who was in front of him. Come on, Jabari. You, you let me down, bro. You let me down. Yeah, I, 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 you know, normally I would say in a situation like that 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 guy talking sounds like uh, someone's proud father. But that is the, the, the total exact opposite. Jabari Smith, it sounds like D-Raw is a disappointed father watching his kid play <laughs> Little League football, Little League basketball. But let me just go in back and say this. <clears throat> the Rockets were winning. They won six straight, right? And everybody was saying, oh, the Rockets could be this shocker team, this, that, and the third. Now it comes that they go on the road to their California trip or the stretch of the season, and mm -hmm. they lose two games. Uh, now everybody want to tank the ship. Such is the life of a Houston Rockets fan. Guys, it's a long season. You're going to have some ups. You're going to have some downs, especially with a young team that doesn't have. I don't think it's that Jalen Green is not living up to the hype or Jabari Smith is not living up to the hype. I just don't feel like we have that veteran leadership in that locker room. Don't get me wrong. Ime is a great coach. He has the ability to put together winning schematics and stuff like that. But it's always a team that thrives and does well uh, 
especially with so much young talent, always has a great veteran leader wait, who is outspoken. Wait, wait. Who is that for the Rockets? What right? do you mean who is that? We got old-ass Jeff Green. Jeff Green has never he, been. He got championship DNA. He been in the league hell since the uh the Supersonics was around, bro. You talk about veteran. That's the veteran of them all. Let me you tell got you something. Van Let me tell you something. Championship DNA. Jeff, Jeff Green can't even speak to a youngster on the side of the corner store, let alone these youngsters that are making millions of dollars. All of these people have made more money in Jeff Green's whole career in one year. Okay, don't talk to me about respect because it comes down to money. These youngsters don't respect nothing but the money, okay? But to go back to the point I was trying to make, I know I, di- I you know, I digressed a little bit, but it's true. Jeff Green is not that voice. He's not clearly it's not working. You need that person that's going to come into that locker room and from a veteran standpoint, uh, uh say, "Listen, guys. This is not a marathon it's a race or it's not it's not it's not, it's not a sprint it's, it's it's a marathon we have to play consistently to get the, the, the to exceed winning on this level and i just don't think that they have that right now now let's go back and talk about do, do, do the individual breakdown like you're doing uh Seguin, great guy totally developed van fleet doing well at his position but jabari smith jr you do need to step it up you know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll second the emotion from, from, from D-Raw on that. Uh, Jabari Smith, for the high draft pick that you were used, that was used to get you in here, you should be pre- performing way more than what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And then, look at our bench. We got so much depth that even if one person isn't performing, we should have a rotation to come in and, 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 and make up for that. Yeah. You got to you got Eason, you got Tate, you got uh, Whitmore, you got. Come on now, we got to reach down there and do something different. Use more players out that bench that can provide a spark. You know, uh, I would probably say that's the one thing I really haven't seen out of MA yet is like these multiple different rotations of players, you, you gotta do different it. lineups, uh, and like you said, that might spark some. You might find some in that if we could just mix it up. Uh, I would actually be honest. I would like to see Eason in the lineup, see what he do in place of maybe uh Jabari Smith. Let me tell you something. Eason in last game, well, uh, not game last game, game before last. In twenty minutes of play, he had twelve points. Jabari Smith Jr. thirty three minutes, only nine points. Right. You mean to tell me as a starter in the NBA on a team that does not have like a set-in-stone superstar, you can only get nine points in 33 minutes? Yeah. I'm about ready to put my jersey. I mean... I'm you, about you let me at him, coach. <laughs> <laughs> See, and then you look at Jeff Green. He had 15 minutes off the bench. He didn't provide no points. He really didn't do none, you know, none of the hustle things. He only had two assists. He had no steals, no blocks, no rebound shit. He should have just sat his ass on the bench. That could have been Whitmore time. 15 minutes right there. Exactly. We really just need Jeff Green to just coach from the from the sideline. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. No, no. That's not the answer. <laughs> That's never been the answer. Let me explain to you what really needs to happen. I've said it once and I'll say it again. Cam Whitmore. I listen, I am his new agent. 
everybody that needs to see what I see, reach out to me. Send me <laughs> all of your, your suggestions. Send me all of your support. We're going to get Cam Whitmore some more playing time because when that dog gets let loose off the chain, the NBA has not seen this caliber of player. I'm telling you, you've heard it here first, people. When Cam Whitmore for the Houston Rockets gets a fair shot at some playing time with this rotation, the Rockets, you know, like they say all the time over at NASA, we have liftoff. It's going to happen, baby. It's going to happen. <laughs> well, look, man, let's look at the next game. Uh, when we played, we played the Lakers. We lost 105 to 104. One point. One point. Just because your boy Dylan Brooks went out there and fouled LeBron, and all he had to do was just defend and let the game go to overtime. That, that, that. Anybody will tell you in reviewing any type of game, you can go back and find multiple reasons for a game to have been been lost by one point. So I don't think that's fair to Dylan to say he did that. He did it at an untimely timing, but there are other areas in that game where we could have overcome a one-point loss. We could have. And I can tell you, uh, looking at the highlights and things, LeBron, he didn't really just cook Dylan Brooks. He cooked the whole damn starting five. Like, But hold on. Before you go any further on that, can I just – can I sidetrack just for a little bit? Just for a brief second. Go ahead, bro. Listen, I watched the Lakers play the other night, and I don't know if it was just me or if if, if my TV uh, – uh, 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 4D setting, a uh, 4K setting was off or something, but LeBron James literally looks like a, you know how they say a man amongst boys? And they were saying that about him in his early career. I didn't really get it then, but I get it now. It looks like he's out there playing with all of his kids, <laughs> schoolmates or something, man. LeBron looks huge out here on this court nowadays with these people. And it's just like, I'm saying to myself, is it time? Because he's like towering over these kids that are in the NBA right now. Hey, like, bro, I, I can go step on a, on, on a, on a team of three-year-olds and beat them <laughs> and get 37 <laughs> and nine. <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, go watch the game, people. Look, Y'all are seeing what I'm talking about. Go watch the game. It's expected. You got to learn how to live with what LeBron going to do. You know what I'm saying? But you can overcome what AD is doing. 27 points, 10 rebounds. We can slow him down. AD, we can stop him. But LeBron, nah. But at the end of the day, I mean, bro, like I said, man, your boy Jalen, he let us down. Nine points. If Jalen had scored with his average is 18 points a game, we would have won. Okay. We would have won. Jabari Smith, he eat. I guess he stepped up. You know, he he went five for ten, so I can't knock him too hard. Uh, fourteen points. But Jalen, you let me down, bro. Out of all the people in the starting lineup, even Dylan Brooks put up twenty four. Even Singoon put up his twenty three. Van Vliet fifteen points. He had more assists than his points. He had sixteen assists. And Jalen Green, all you can give me is old measly nine points, four turnovers. One block, no steals, three assists, six rebounds, and I'm highly fucking disappointed in your three for ten shooting ass. Two for five from the three-point line. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and reduce them 31 minutes. Um, 
with more. Where you at, my boy? Let, let me go ahead and give you about half of those. You know listen, what I'm saying? Listen, 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 <laughs> listen, listen, people. Let me tell you something. D-Raw is just, you know, you know. They used to have this old saying, he's slicker than a can of oil. Now, you know, what he's trying to do is he's trying to push one of my boys out by boosting up another one of my boys right there. And you're just real swift like, you know, <laughs> never let your left hand know what your right hand doing. But let me tell you something. You're not going to do that today, okay? <laughs> now, I do agree. Jalen, hey, nine points. You're a bona fide starter. You were brought in to be a superstar. Nine points, 31 minutes, just ain't going to cut it. But I'm more forgiving than D-Raw. I do believe you need to bounce back and you need to step it up. Now, what I'm not going to continue to stand for is overlooking the fact that look at all these stats from the other starters. They game was on. Maybe he was facilitating. So let me go over here and look at how many assists he had. Okay. Let me keep looking at uh, But he only had how many uh, steals? None. He had how many turnovers? Four. Okay. We're still yeah. in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's trash, bro. We're in a pandemic. Okay. Now, Jalen Green has, a, you know, he has the right to be, you know, sick every now and then. So, you know, we're just going to call that an off night. Mm. Uh, he'll bounce back nicely. Yeah. But yeah. At, uh, one point, so. at one point, what, what was the big difference? What was the big difference? I'm going to be honest. Like, we we can uh trash talk Jalen Green, but you also kind of you got to look at this bench, bro. Because besides Jeff Green, nobody else did anything. Like Tari Eason, he was negative eighteen on the floor. You know, Jay Sean Tate, he was a plus six, but he really didn't provide much. You know, Jack Land Jack Landell, he 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 could have played better in his little four minutes. Like anybody could have chipped in a little bit more. And I think it just goes goes to say that you know any of these games can be had, bro, but. You got to do the little things. It's, it's about the hustling. And I don't think the Rockets hustled enough in this game to get this win. Uh, let alone, yeah, LeBron had 37 points. AD had 27. But we still only lost by one point, bro. If you look at everybody else on this Lakers uh, starting lineup, they didn't do anything. We got beat by two players. No, at some point, that's, when you, that, that's why I say you have to uh, – kind of tip your hat to one LeBron turning back the hands of time and two recognizing when two bona fide uh, stud superstar players are in the league and they've made up their mind that this game tonight we're not going to lose Mm -hmm. we're not going to lose and so Unfortunately, they made that decision against our Houston, our beloved Houston Rockets, and that's exactly what they did. Because the only other player uh, from the Lakers in in, in in any type of double figures that really matter was Austin Reeves. He had 17. Yeah. Uh, at that point, you had uh, Hachimura with 11 points, and then you only had one, two. Three other players to even score points. Yeah, and they, and they didn't score much. So clearly, this is LeBron James and AD saying, "Listen, enough is enough. We're gonna go out and take this one." And they did that. And unfortunately, the Rockets were on the short end of the stick with that. But hats off to the Rockets to keeping it close and competitive, one point all the way down to the end. Uh, I do would like I would like to see a better uh, performance out of Jalen Green, like we've already touched on. 
when it comes down to the shooting guard position because at this point in his career, to be getting outscored by Austin Reeves 17-9, and yeah, he had four turnovers. Austin Reeves, he had two turnovers. Yeah, two turnovers. So, you know, Austin, I mean, Reeves, Austin Reeves just had a better game than him. Yeah, I mean, Austin Reeves, I played him across the board. Yeah. Six assists, six rebounds, 17 points. You know, he, he just outplayed Jalen Green. But uh, like you said, man, like I really hope Jalen Green can really perform better in this next game because we're playing the Warriors, and we're really going to need him to step it up. Last time he played the Warriors, he put up 21 points. Uh, he went eight for 20, one for five from the three-point line. Um, I hope he played better than that because I want to see a higher efficiency out of him. But um, I, th- I just need – if Green is not going to be the scorer that we expected him to be in the NBA, I need him to do all the other things, the little things, the hustle stats, get more rebounds, be be better at stealing the ball, get a block or two here, you know, make some plays. Make some contributions. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of Rockets fans are highly disappointed in Green, you know. Even out of Jabari, I see him make those plays. You know, but Green, as far as, like, the defensive side and, and just hustling sometimes, I see a lot of lack thereof. So, if we can just get that out of Green against against uh, the Warriors, I definitely could see the Rockets somehow pulling off this game. Especially, you look at the Warriors, bro. They've been on a, a five-game or more losing streak. So, we definitely got a chance. You look at... They lost to OKC twice. They lost to Minnesota. They lost to Cleveland. So, Houston damn sure got a shot. And if you looked at the Houston game when they played the Warriors previously, Houston had a shot in that game. Um, But you got to do something just to run Steph Curry off his spot behind that three-point line because if you don't, he going to cook your ass every chance he get. And besides that, Houston got a shot, and they really need this win. Well, you you know – I think they stand a good chance of coming out on top in this one, uh, especially with the fact that uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't think Draymond's playing this game. Oh yeah, you, you say your boy ain't Draymond? What he suspended? Yeah, he he he, he let the anger management uh, issue <laughs> uh, surface a little bit, and he went in full gorilla mode. But that, but 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 that, that's neither here nor there. I want to see these Houston Rockets uh, come out and put together. A great effort. If not, I want to see how Ime makes the adjustments that are needed to not only help us at an early stage in the, in, in the season, mm-hmm. but that would also incorporate, hey, take it, it, it's nothing wrong with taking a look at what you got on the bench. Yeah. I mean, also, we got to also <clears throat> look at this. Uh, Amin Thompson, he has been out for uh, probably like eight games now, you know. Since that yeah. win streak that we had even started, he, he's been out. So, if we can get our number one pick back in the lineup mm-hmm. and eventually later down the line, hopefully we can get Whitmore in there to get some some kind of minutes. You know, both of them guys can really provide a lot to this Rockets team. This Rockets team is really deep. It has a lot of depth. It's real early to really tell what the Rockets are really at. But um, I, I, I really can't deny I'm, I'm really happy where we are. I just think that we lost – two uh, games in L.A. that really should have been had. It's a lot of little factors that went against us as far as, like, the refs. I think they really played a a big role in that Clippers and Lakers game. Um, But 
We'll see what happens tonight against Golden State. I think the Rockets can really uh, make some changes, play some tighter defense. We've seen the Warriors already, so we know what to expect. They know what we got. Um, you know, it, it's going to be nice. I like to see this nucleus flow and um, see Van Bleek uh, go out there and get the win because he's going to be the main man that's really going to decide how this game going to go because he – He's really the, the pace setter. So what time is tip-off on that one? It'll be at 9 o'clock. Um, I think it's 9 o'clock uh, Central Time, so it'll be like 7 o'clock Pacific Time. Okay, cool. So everybody make sure you tune in. If you're available, get out and go to the game and support our hometown Rockets. Uh, we definitely want to see them uh, prevail in this one. Um, but since we did kind of go there and kind of pulled away from it, Share your thoughts, your opinions on what happened with the, the the Draymond Green. Like, should he have been suspended longer? Or do you feel like the suspension he got was warranted? Because I, I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw him run out, and everybody will say, we all need we need that one guy. Every team needs that one guy that's going to go out and, and kind of be the bully and the big brother for the, for, the, for, the, for the young superstars that's really the ballers, but they're not so much the brawlers. <laughs> but, you know, that's, 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 that's Draymond's, uh, Green's job is to come in and, 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 and take up for those guys. Yeah. But, you know, when things happen, like a melee like that happens or a slight melee, whatever, however you want to label that. Mm -hmm. Everything happens so fast that, you know, you're quick to overreact and say something happened that didn't happen. So the the people off the bench was telling Steve Kerr and everybody that, you know, uh, Gobert had put his hands around uh, Clay Thompson's neck. But when you go back and look at the replay, he never did that. And even if you watch the the post-game uh, interview with Steve Kerr before he had a chance to go watch the film again, he came out on, on, on publicly and said that, you know, basically supporting Draymond, saying, you know, he put because the, 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 the pretense was there that he had put his hands around, Gobert had put his hands around Klay Thompson's neck, only to come back and find out that that never happened and that he was just really trying to be, uh, you know, a, a, impartial and break up the fight and um Draymond just flew in there in a rage out of nowhere and put this man in in, in one of the uh old uh let's take <laughs> this guy to jail moves around the neck and um <laughs> only for Steve Kerr to come back and then say basically eat his words in a later press conference and say uh he feels that Draymond should have been suspended uh and possibly longer what, what, what do you think about all Man, <clears throat> how long was Draymond suspended? Uh, let me see. I, I want to say, was it six? If it was six games, that ain't enough. And But this is not the first time. That's, one, that's what I was going to say. It, it's not the first time. It's, it's the, the first of many times or whatever you want to say. Uh, but this one, it, it probably is a little different since it seemed like he just got him off guard, you know. Okay, so, I, you know, I stand corrected. It was five. Not so, so five games. Mm -hmm. And we didn't see Draymond and kick people in the nuts, hit people in the nuts. Uh, not the nuts. Uh, 
It's just, but so many things that he has done, you know, it's ridiculous. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, man, I'm tired of this. I don't know where Ron Artest is, you know, in the NBA right now, but but we need him. Because somebody needs to go ahead and knock this guy out, okay? Oh. They need to put a stop oh. to this. Oh, people, please excuse me. I am silently backing my chair out because I cannot be a part of any hits put out on any NBA players. Thank you. Hey, I know you've seen that that meme where Kobe say soft. Yeah. And and that's that's the part that's the problem with the NBA. They they soft. Because if it was me and Draymond, we getting into it, bro. It's it's, it's gonna happen. There's no way that you just keep allowing this guy to just be a bully to every team in the NBA. I mean, he bullies somebody on on, on every team in the NBA. Yes. You know? But here's, here's my thing. Just be mindful, uh, especially from being a fan here in Houston, one of our head coaches from uh, the Houston Rockets. Remember the Rudy T fiasco, what happened to him in his career, right? We don't ever wish anything like that on any player. And the game, to me, right now is in a state where there's so many good ballers. It used to be in the NBA, there were five, maybe six superstar players in the league, and everybody else was just average. Right now, the way the NBA is set up, you have too many great players where each night, no matter what two teams are lining up, you can see a good game. Uh-huh. So the style of play that Draymond is with, I really don't think it has a place in the NBA anymore, to be honest with you. Because he's just rough, rugged, and tough for no reason, man. You out here beating up people because you are mad with self. <laughs> like, when do you go get some help, bro? Like, this man was trying to help your teammate and his. Hey, guys, stop. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> <laughs> the gorilla got me. It's like, man, it it was just you know. I think was, it was sad. Like you said, his style is probably about thirty years removed. Yeah, it, it, that style, that ship has set sail. And, and uh, you know, you talking about uh, going to get all these other people for help. I need, I need some Ayana fix his life. <laughs> Come fix this man's life, man, because he. he, he is, 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 is he a podcaster? Is he a basketball player? Is he a comedian? A comedian? <laughs> is he a boxer? What is he? I think Draymond is everything he can possibly be to stay in the NBA because. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Because arguably, what he just did would get him thrown out of the NBA. Yeah, but what I'm saying is he does everything he can possibly to stay on his Warriors team. Because to be honest, if the Warriors didn't want him, I don't think nobody else really wants Draymond. Because what is Draymond really providing at this point? He's not the same defender at this point. You know why he does what he does? You know why he kicks and hits people in the nuts and grab them? You know, all those weird-ass uh, gay things he does throughout the game, especially in the playoffs. He does it because he gets beat off the dribble. He, he he tried he tried to slow down wait, wait, his wait. opponent. He tried to intimidate his opponent by doing those kind of things. You, you you're telling me that you would reach out to another man's 
I would um, family jewels. I would and do all the things that he's done because you are getting beat off the dribble. He's getting beat to the basket every time. Draymond can't keep up no more. You see, he can't shoot. So how about we just say it like this? He is an overpaid security guard. Yeah, he just securing us, uh, Steph Curry, and Clay. Yeah, uh, Clay. Hey, he looking better this year. Well, yeah. I was going to say because the rumors are out that you know people are calling for Clay to get shipped out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Clay ain't been the same, but you know that's why they got CP3 to kind of cover that. But anyway, people, we we're doing our take on. Um, this Draymond Green thing again, like like we've asked you guys before, because this is something I know we have to move on from, but mm-hmm. I don't want to let it go. So I need some people to, to leave some comments, share your thoughts, tell us what you really felt about. You, give us your take on the Draymond Green situation. And the main question is, was the five-game suspension warranted, long enough, or Something else needs, some other form of punishment needs to happen. Let us know. Well, uh, last thing, let's welcome my boy Joe Espada to the Houston Astros. He's already been an Astro as a coach, but now he is the manager of the Astros. Dusty Baker out, Joe Espada in. Uh, Joe Espada was a bench coach for the Astros. He's a former minor league player. Um, where he had some some pretty good success in the minor leagues, never really made it to the the high level of MLB, but uh, he's coached at for the Yankees. Um, he's also coached for the Miami Marlins, and now he's coaching the Houston Astros, and he's been there uh, since 2017. So he's seen us through the World Series and things like that. And only thing I could say is and expect is good things for the Astros moving forward. Because the one thing about bringing Joe Espada in or, you know, moving him up to the next level is we know there won't be a whole bunch of changes that's going to derail the team, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact that he's only 48 years old, I think that he, he brings in something fresh, you know, some, some young-minded ideas. Like I was saying before, like, I just think we needed a refreshment of, uh, of thoughts or, or uh, schemes, you know, for this, this Astros team. And I think Joe Espada will do exactly that for the Astros moving forward. Well, you know, in looking over his resume, <clears throat> he did, because that was one of my questions when I first found out who they hired. But then I, I found out, you know, that he had already been with the organization. And to me, even though Dusty Baker left, there was nothing wrong per se. Mm-hmm. Uh what was going on there while Dusty was the uh, was the big man on, on campus, except for, like we discussed in a previous episode, there were a couple of little tweaks that needed to happen, but there was no, like you said, major changes that needed to occur. Mm-hmm. So when I found out this guy was already part of the organization and they, they, they basically uh, moved him up, I, I started saying, oh, okay, this is cool because he's already got that rapport with the players, the current players that are on the Rockets, which I think we have championship caliber players in, in uh, still in the uh, dugout. And uh, they need someone who's been there, done that, kind of gone through things with them, understand where they came up short last year, mm-hmm. and knows how to move with them going forward. Uh, so, you know, 
aside from that, I really can't say too much about him on how he's going to be as the head man in the dugout now. But um, it does comfort me to know that he has been around someone like uh, Dusty. Dusty, who has nothing but that championship pedigree, and he and he spilled it and poured it into this entire organization. Yeah. So I, I think the players there really buy in, like you said, because they there's nothing that should really change. Uh, and he learned a lot from Dusty, and like like we talked about before, Dusty is is hell of a coach, you know, mm-hmm. hell of a player too. And um, to pick up just anything from Dusty, I think is going to help Joe Espada with the Astros uh, moving forward, and hopefully uh, we'll we'll see him and the Astros in the Fall Classic again next year. Um, other than that, people, it was another good episode of the HSC. Me and my boy Charles, you know, we, we talked about a lot of things. Hopefully we covered everything that you wanted to hear. If not, let us know. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Charles? Jay Green, I got you, baby. I'm going to still be out here supporting you, even though somebody else has got a different opinion on it. And listen to uh, to all the fans that's out here listening. I want to thank you guys for staying tuned in this long. Uh, this is, like D-Raw D has said, this was another great episode. Stay with us. We're going to evolve. We're going to move forward and doing. Uh, we look forward to doing more episodes that cover the, the new and improved Astros, the new and improved Rockets, the new and improved Houston Texans. Guess what, H-Time? It's still going down. The sports connoisseur, D-Rock. Pull up in motorcades. I got a show today. It's all I'm trying to do. Hustle and motivate.